It's Harsh Reality on Search for Truth this week. At least that's the title of today's talk in our Hope for Humanity series of programmes. As though, thanks for tuning in and it's good to have you with us. Our Bible teacher Brian will be looking to the scriptures to explain the wonderful hope we have in the message of hope which God proclaims to all humanity. And here's Brian to tell us about harsh reality. The year 2012 saw the war crimes trial of ex-Bosnian Serb commander Ratlo Medladic, who faced 11 charges of war crimes and crimes against humanity over the 1992-1995 Bosnian conflict, including the charge that he orchestrated the massacre of more than 7,000 Muslim men and boys at the Bosnian town of Srebrenica in 1995. It once again reminded people of the horrific and inhumane behaviour of some leaders who use whatever power they have to massacre other human beings, women and children included. The sanctity of human life seemingly means nothing to them. At this time of year, we prepare again to hear the Bible story of the Nativity with the shepherds, the wise men, their gifts and the star. It's a story many receive with warm and happy ritual, often regardless of religious affiliation. Whether we hear it merely culturally or as the bold story of Christ's advent, it's a story which has been considered fit for children's plays and their accompanying joyful music at schools and shopping malls. But to many, it must seem surreal, far removed from the harsh realities of the real world with its sickening headlines. Perhaps they are among the many victims who at this time await news of the search for yet another child sexual predator or the outcome of the hunt for the brute who bludgeoned to death a nearby defenceless pensioner in her own home for a few pounds or a few dollars. What's the relevance, after all, of what's increasingly regarded as a mere winter's tale? Is it at best just a form of escapism? but make no mistake about it. This is no mere wintry tale. This is the historical account of a reality which itself is more than a little tinged with harshness. For even here, in this story which we tell with appropriate joy, a story of joyful news and memorable characters, there's also a dark side with tears and fear and sorrow. Even Christians who thoroughly love the story and believe the accounts of the infant's birth often forget its harsh reality. So allow me to remind you. When Herod discovered that the Magi had tricked him, leaving town without reporting where they had found the new king, he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. He was leaving nothing to chance in his paranoid desire to be rid of all known rivals whom he thought might want to take his throne from him. At Herod's murderous decree, Matthew recalls what was said through the prophet Jeremiah long ago, now again sadly fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Matthew 2 from verse 16. Herod's violent reaction to the news of a newborn king casts a very sad shadow on a beautiful story. 
Well might we remember with delight the Magi outsmarting Herod by leaving for their country, using another road for the return journey. We remember with triumph that Mary, Joseph and Jesus were able to escape to safety despite the murderous attempts of a powerful ruler. But at what cost? In that little town of Bethlehem, Herod's command caused excruciating sorrow. In fact, the inclusion of this frightful story at all is a really grim addition. No wonder we rarely think about it. But what if its inclusion turns out to be the very thing that can move us to believe that the story of Christ's birth is actually about the real world we know and not a world of fanciful stories? For here, within the greatest story of God's reaching out to our world, is a realistic account of humanity's destructive ways. Here is recorded the deep and painful suffering of the very real world into which Jesus came. The grave offence of humanity, the pain of humanity, and the agonising need for a radically different hope, they're all part of this same story. We live in a world of tin-pot dictators who corruptly cling to the reins of power by ruthlessly crushing all who threaten to get in their way. History, as well as modern times, is strewn with examples. We live in a world where a, a silent holocaust of inconvenient infant life takes place and where senseless killings shatter the tranquility of simple village life. It was like that in Dunblane, Scotland, when a troubled loner turned his weapon on innocent children at the village school and created a bloodbath, leading to this response in print the following day. Christ was born among innocent slaughter and died on the cross to pay the cost of our terrible freedom, a freedom by which we can do the greatest good or the greatest evil. That was taken from the Times, the London Times leader column the day after the 13th of March 1996 when that massacre took place at the infant school in Dunblane in Scotland. The essence of the Christmas story is that God has joined us in suffering. I recall that expression first being used by a Church of Scotland minister when he was interviewed by a BBC news reporter after Pan Am Flight 103 exploded in the sky over Lockerbie in Scotland on December the 21st, 1988. It was like meteors falling from the sky, described a resident, while others described the sky lighting up and a large, deafening roar. They soon saw pieces of the plane, as well as pieces of bodies lying in fields and backyards, on fences and on rooftops. Fuel from the plane was already on fire before it hit the ground. Some of it landed on houses, making the houses explode. One of the plane's wings hit the ground in the southern area of Lockerbie. It hit the ground with such impact that it made a crater 155 feet long, displacing approximately 1,500 tonnes of dirt. 21 of Lockerbie's houses were completely destroyed and 11 of its residents were dead. Thus the total death toll was 270, including those on the plane, of course. Finally, and quite unprofessionally, revealing, I suspect, his own unbelieving sentiments, the reporter turned on the minister and almost spat out his next and last question. Where is your God now? To which the calm, unforgettable reply was... God has joined us in suffering. In the person of his Son, he came as a man, Jesus Christ, and joined us in suffering. Through the Christmas story, 
God has answered critics like that reporter, for he did indeed come down to suffer the injustices of life on earth as it is now, very different from the original condition in which he created it. Jesus was born, as we sometimes hear, in a stable bear, and was with the poor and mean and lowly. He was born in a land that was under an occupying force, the Romans. While still a child, he experienced the rigours of life as a refugee, as a displaced person. In public life, he was soon to learn what it was like to be misunderstood, even to be ostracised, and be at the receiving end of a gross miscarriage of justice. Yes, we can safely say that God has joined us in suffering. He's not some cosmic spectator standing callously by. God has joined us in our suffering. You see, in one sense, Elie Wiesel was right when in a Nazi concentration camp he imagined it was God hanging on the gallows as he watched a young boy who'd been hanged. For God has joined us in suffering. He didn't exclude himself from human suffering. He too hung on a gallows just outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. One Christian commentator has said, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could anyone worship a God who was immune to it? I have entered many temples in different countries and stood respectively before the statue. A remote look on its face, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time, after a while, I've had to turn away. And in imagination, I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nailed through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become more manageable in the light of his. There is still a question mark against human suffering, but over it we boldly stamp another mark, the cross, which symbolises divine suffering. It seems so fitting to come back in conclusion of our talk to the suffering involved in the Christmas story. Someone has written... Jesus Christ, unwanted as a baby, fugitive as a child, misunderstood as a boy, rejected in his hometown, laughed at by the religious leaders, betrayed by his friends, condemned by the government to die, forsaken by God to die on a cross. And the second verse adds, But then he arose, and since then the initiative is in the hands of those who follow him, to make every baby wanted, to give every fugitive a home, to give everyone a purpose for living, to make every town a place where he is worshipped. Let's not romanticise the nativity scene in the way some Christmas cards do. It was hardly a sterile chamber in which to give birth. Surely there was dirt. Surely, too, there were animal smells and flies when Emmanuel was born. Emmanuel, whose name means God with us, with us in experiencing the hardships of this life. Sympathy is one thing. Salvation is quite another, and there has been born to us a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. He joined us in suffering here, that we might one day join him where suffering will be a thing of the past, gone forever. Have you truly believed in your heart that the central figure of the Christmas story once suffered and died for you? Was it for me, for me, oh?
Ryan said at the end of his talk, and the hymn has reminded us that the central figure of the Bible, the man Christ Jesus, once suffered and died for you and for me. Will you accept his sacrifice and gain forgiveness from God? Otherwise you remain condemned to God's due judgment. You may find it helpful to send for the booklet uh, of this series of talks. Uh, if you'd like to receive one, let us have your postal address and ask for the title Hope for Humanity. You can order by email or by post, and I'm about to give you our contact details, so if you've pen and paper to hand, you can make a note. Search for Truth, P.O. Box 748, Ringwood, Victoria 3134, Australia. And our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Also, look out for Search for Truth, featuring on www.twr360.org. We're excited that this uh, method will give you yet another excellent way of accessing, again, what you first heard here on the radio. Now, it's been great to have you with us today, but sadly now we have to go. Next week, we have another talk with Hope for Humanity, so I do hope you can join us again. Until then, very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers and me, John. So goodbye and may God richly bless you. <laughs>